The message title this morning is Seeing and Being Seen. Seeing and Being Seen. And as we get started, I want to tell you about an exercise that many therapists and leadership gurus practice. It's called the the eye contact exercise. Some of you have heard me mention this recently, but it's called the the eye contact exercise, and and here's what it is. And we're not going to do this, but if we were to do this, this is what it would entail. I would tell you to pair up, find someone in this room, just one person you do not know. So pick some random person you you do not know, and go and sit with them face to face, And look into each other's eyes for a minute and a half without saying anything and without looking away. Some of you are saying, uh, could you just kill me instead? Like, that sounds like the worst thing ever. (laughs) Incredibly uncomfortable, awkward, but a lot of these leadership gurus and and conflict resolution workshops, they'll have people do this because it's, it's a way of kind of forcing intimacy And that's why when we think of doing that with someone we don't know, just staring into their eyes, I mean, it gives us the heebie-jeebies, right? It just does. Because you feel so vulnerable. I mean, it's one thing to to look at them, and that is awkward in and of itself, like staring into someone's eyes. That feels weird. But then to know they're looking back at you. And as a good friend of mine used to say, an older Italian friend here in Rhode Island that I used to work with, Named Elaine. She used to say to me, Jeff, the eyes are the window to the soul. Something true about that. About seeing into someone's eyes and being seen. And what we see in this passage this morning is the most profound kind of seeing and being seen. It is seeing our Creator God and it's being seen by Him. That's what we see in this, in this text. If you were to Search John chapter 1, just to prepare you before we get into our passage, just bear with me for a moment. But if you were to look for words related to seeing, beholding, looking, you would see over 20 occurrences of such words. In our passage, verse 35 to the end of the chapter, in that passage alone, there are over 13 times seeing, looking, beholding. Those words are used. There's a lot of seeing and being seen in John chapter 1. And so we're going to talk about first seeing God and then secondly being seen by God. And to prepare us for the concept of seeing God, John says in verse 18 this, No one has seen God at any time. And notice he doesn't stop there, does he? He doesn't stop there. He says, the only begotten God who is in my translation, in the bosom of the Father, or in the ESV, I think it says, who is by the side of the Father, with the Father, He has explained Him. Which is another way of saying, no one's seen God at any time, but when we see Jesus, we see God. Later on in His ministry, Philip will say to Jesus, show us the Father, and you remember what Jesus says to him? If you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. To see Jesus is to see God. And we're going to look at these people seeing Jesus in the beginning of our section here. And then we're going to spend a little time on Jesus seeing them and what that means. But what I'm hoping will happen this morning, even in light of the song we just finished singing, is that God will help us to see Jesus in the text and to see Jesus right here, right now, as the provision of grace for us. 
in ways we desperately, desperately need. So notice, first of all, these, these, these people interacting with Jesus. Now, I'll confess to you, as I first started this text this past week, I was like, okay, okay, I've read this many, many times. We've all heard teaching on Jesus inviting people to follow him, and then they come and they follow him. And it seemed a little bit, to be honest with you, it seemed a little bit dry at first, or just maybe overly familiar. But as I dug into this, I mean, it just blew me away with gospel richness. And I'm just hoping to be able to convey to you some of the encouragement I received this past week. So you see these people, okay, interacting with Jesus. And first, it's John the Baptist again. And Pastor Rob preached last week on John the Baptist pointing to Jesus. And here again, it says that uh, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus and as, as he walked, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. So here he says, Behold. In other words, look, look, look at him. Look, the Lamb of God. And notice what, when we look at these people and what they say when they see him, notice what comes out of their mouths as they see him with their eyes. Here it says, he says, the Lamb of God, which is a uh, unique title, right? The, it's kind of unique to call someone the Lamb. Well, the Lamb makes people in that day think of the sacrificial system and all the provisions, the sacrifices, which were meant for atonement, for the covering of sin. And here's what John the Baptist is saying. Hey, look at the one who takes away sin. Look at the only one who can take away sin. You know, like your sin, like the sin that you struggle with every single day. The anxiety, the irritation, the anger, the greed, the resentment, the hostility, whatever it is. Like, look, look, don't look at yourself. Don't look at other people. Don't look at the religious leaders, the Pharisees. Look at the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look, look at him. So John beholds him and then tells other people to behold him. And then next, we encounter Andrew, and then, and then of course, the really well-known disciple Peter. So this is the two disciples heard him speak, these two disciples of, of John here, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and, and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is translated teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. So probably about four o'clock in the afternoon. And it says, One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. So, So here we have now Andrew going to get Simon Peter, his brother, and saying, hey, come, we, we found him. And this is a, um, the, the uh, Greek word here for found him is, is heurisko, which is the word from which we get the English eureka. It's like eureka, we found him, that, which means there's, there's an anticipation building up to this. And he's saying, hey, he's here. And, and what term does he use? Earlier, John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God. Here he says, look, it's the, this is the Messiah, the anointed one, the, the one who has come to deliver us. So you've heard the term Messiah complex. You might say, well, so-and-so has a Messiah complex. And let me ask you, is that a, is that a term of endearment? No, it is not. When, when someone is described as having a Messiah complex, uh, that's not a compliment. Because deep down we know any human being that thinks they're going to somehow save people, I mean, it's not going to happen. Salvation on a human, like people can help one another, but saving at the deepest level, no. We, we, all, we all sort of know 
Intuitively, that's, that's a joke. It's not going to happen. But, but this, is, this is truly the Messiah, like capital M, Messiah, the one who's here to deliver us. So they see him. They behold him. And what comes out of their mouths, they say, this, this is the Messiah. Moving on from there, look at verse 43. Uh, oh, sorry. Yes, yes, verse 43. So after Seth, Andrew, Simon, Peter, and now, now we encounter Philip. This is the next day. Jesus purposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. He noticing all the words for seeing here. Come and see. So we have Philip here and Nathaniel. And Philip, as he describes this for Nathaniel, he says, hey, look, you know, you know the Old Testament, which, which obviously these two men were familiar with and students of their Old Testament. And as they studied, they looked for clues for the Messiah. And then, and then their real lives, they were ex- expecting him to come. And it was an eager expectation. So what are you expecting? What, do you live with any kind of expectation? If I were to talk with you individually, you, you'd probably tell me you have certain expectations, certain things you're looking forward to. In fact, from a counseling standpoint, when people have no expectations, nothing they're looking forward to, uh, guess what you call those people usually? Depressed. Like, there's got to be some, some hope Right? Well, they're hopeful. They're looking. They're expecting. We expect, we look forward to things like Christmas this time of year. And that's good because Christmas is a blessing. We enjoy it. Family and celebration. Holidays are great. Maybe looking forward to expecting the next election. Some of us are already looking forward to that. Because we, we just, we're looking forward to something that we hope is going to just bring some kind of help or excitement or pleasure or deliverance of some kind. And they're saying, look, th- this, is, this is the greatest fulfillment of any expectation. This is, this is the one promised in the Old Testament. He says, Nathan, Nathaniel, he's, he's here. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So Nathaniel said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see Uh, Later on, I just want to show you verse 49. Just jump ahead to verse 49 for a moment. Rabbi, this is what Nathanael says to Jesus, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. So he's the Lamb of God. He's the Messiah. Here he says, you're the Son of God. You're the King of Israel. And seeing Jesus, they were seeing the most amazing living color manifestation of God's deliverance, weren't they? And, and And it gets even... More amazing here. And I want to show you this. This is, this is where we see some of the, the mystery of the gospel coming into light for us. And so I want to show you this. This is part of what kind of perplexed me as I studied this week. Because there's a couple things here that are said that are a little bit tricky. But when you, when you carefully consider them, man, the picture of the gospel is just amazing. So, so notice, notice this, alright? Notice when Jesus encounters Nathaniel... Notice what he says to him in verse 47. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, he said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. 
Now, if you, if you know your Bible, you know that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is a, how, many, how many righteous are there? None. There is none righteous, not one. All men are liars, it says elsewhere in Scripture. So what does he mean, behold Nathaniel, a person in whom there is no disease? He's saying, hey, here's a guy who never lies. Is that what he's saying? I want to show you what he's saying. But before I do, one more interesting little detail. So go down to the end of the passage. Okay, This is Jesus interacting with Nathaniel still. Just look at verse 51, and we're going to catch some of the other intermediate verses in a moment. But for now, just look at verse 51. Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, what in the world is he talking about? I mean, if you study the Gospels, you will not see any explicit mention of this. What what is he talking about? Well, in light of the fact that Nathaniel was a student of his Old Testament, and in light of the fact he says of Nathaniel that here is one in whom there is no deceit, and in light of the fact that he says, Nathaniel, you're going to see the Son of Man and angels ascending and descending on him, in light of all that, turn back with me to Genesis chapter 27 where we read about Jacob, whose name was changed to what? What was Jacob's name changed to? Israel, that's right. Jacob the patriarch, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob is the one whose name was changed to Israel, the one from whom the twelve tribes descended. And there's a story about Jacob. And one of the only other times the word is used that when it says that of Nathaniel, that in him There is no deceit, or your translation may say no guile there in John 1. That same word, one of the only other times it's used, is here in Genesis 27. Genesis 27 and verse 35. This is Isaac the father talking. Two sons, Esau and Jacob. And this is what he says. Isaac says, verse 35, Your brother, namely Jacob, came deceitfully. There's the word, same word, used of Nathanael in John 1, he came with deceit, with guile, and has taken away your blessing. You know what that word means? He came deceitfully to trick you to take. He came and stole your blessing. And you may know, if you've studied the Old Testament, you may know, Jacob's name means supplanter. One who supplants or takes or by trickery steals or robs something from someone else. That's what the name Jacob means. And he is, in a very real sense, the father of Israel. He's the one whose name was changed to Israel. That's where they get that name that we use for the ethnicity today. It all comes from him. And and he says, hey, this was how he sought to secure the blessing for himself, as he sought to secure it for himself by his own trickery, by his own efforts, by his own works. Now jump ahead to the next chapter, Genesis 28. As you can imagine, his brother Esau, who was the oldest, who had the, by their traditions, had the birthright, but it had been taken from him. So now he's angry and he wants to go after Jacob. And so Jacob's on the run. He's going to get out of there. And so pick it up in verse 10. This is Jacob on the run, knowing that he's done this thing. And probably somewhere deep down, he's wondering, oh man, am I even going to... Okay, so Isaac, I mean, my father gave him the blessing, but I kind of stole it, so do I really have it? And he's on the run. Okay, so Jacob departed, it says in verse 10. Just pick it up there and read with me. Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and spent the night there. 
because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. It sounds comfortable, right? No sleep number beds back then. Lays his head down on a stone. Sounds terrible. Verse 12. He had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Pause there. Does that sound familiar? It's the only other place in Scripture where it's said that angels are ascending and descending this way. And you look at the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, and you compare that to John 1's text, those words are in the exact same order. Same words, same. And so commentators agree. It's like this is a reference to Jacob's ladder, and that's what he saw in his dream. Now notice, go, go with me further here in Genesis 28. Notice what God communicates to Jacob as he sees this, okay? Verse 13, it says, Behold, the Lord stood above it. He said, I am the Lord Yahweh, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I do not, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Okay, turn back to John chapter one. What is Jesus communicating here to Nathaniel? What is he saying? I believe he's saying, Nathaniel, you know your Old Testament. You know where it all began. You're a descendant of Jacob. And he says, Nathaniel, you're an Israelite indeed. You're a true Israelite, Nathaniel. One more detail and I'll bring it all together. The name Jacob, you remember that one, that name means supplanter, trickster, one who steals, takes by his own conniving. You know what the word or the name Nathaniel means? It means God gives. It means God gives. And what Jesus is communicating to Nathaniel here is He's saying, Nathaniel, you were a true Israelite. One realizing, one understanding that receiving the blessing is not by trickery. It's not by taking. It's not by your efforts. It's not by your strategizing. You realize that blessing is given by God, by grace. You are are prepared for the Messiah, Nathaniel, and I'm here. Just as Jacob said back there, whoa, God, I didn't even know you were here. I didn't see you. I didn't know you were here. And God says, yep, I'm here. I'm going to bless. Now for Nathaniel, in even a greater way, it's like, hey, Your God, Yahweh, is right here, right now, right in front of you to save you, to rescue you, to give you all the blessings, not by your own efforts, but by grace. So he says, look at me, Nathaniel. Look at me and see your God. See what your God is really like. Now, humanly, like Jacob, isn't it true? I mean, 
Come with me here for a second, okay? Can I have your attention for a second on this? Come with me. So, have you ever thought in your life, man, I just wish I could see God. I mean, that would help me if I could just see him, right? I mean, if he would just show up here, I mean, it would build my faith because I just feel like it's not, it's not going the way. And it's, I feel like he's not here. He's not helping me. And that's what Jacob was kind of feeling until he had that dream. That's why he said, I was amazed. I didn't even see you, but you're here the whole time. In some ways, those, those disciples, those early disciples, they didn't see him. And they, and they probably, were now that they're like seeing Jesus, now God says, okay, now you're, you're seeing him. And, then, and we say, oh, that's awesome. They saw him. They saw him with their own natural eyes right there, living color, right in front of them. Here we are in 2022. Do you see him? You don't see him, right? I don't see him. Not with my natural eyes, I don't see him. But as Jesus here says, hey, you're, yeah, Nathaniel, you've seen, you're going to see even greater things. He goes on to heal people. And then he goes on to the greatest expression, the greatest manifestation of the heart of God of all, which is on the cross, where God comes for his people, where the provision for our rescue, for our deliverance, for the taking away of our sins, for our reconciliation with our creator, for the hope of eternal life, and all the blessing where all of it is given is there on the cross. And what God is saying is, hey, you know what? You see what you need to see. I've got a lot of friends who are atheists or agnostics and I've had them say to me, and if I could just see him, you know, if he just show himself, then I would believe. Why doesn't he just show him? If he's God, he's there, he just show himself. I mean, how hard would that be? All he had to do is just show himself. And what he says to us through his word regularly is, look, I've I've shown you myself. I've shown you my heart. You've seen. And how all of this grace comes from the Father to us through the cross, secured not by our Jacob-like works and efforts and conniving and strategizing, but just by grace. Nathaniel, God gives, we receive. That's what it means to see God. That's the kind of seeing that's available to us today. And that's the kind of seeing that saves so we sing these songs, Behold Our God, right? Show us Christ. Why? Because that's where healing is found. So often in the church, if you're like me, so much of my church life has been about looking at myself, looking at other people, comparing myself with other people. And over and over and over and over throughout Scripture, God's just saying, Look to me. And then Christ comes on the scene, and in the greatest way of all, He says, Look, look at the cross, look and be healed. Remember the brazen serpent in the Old Testament? They were afflicted by these serpents and they were poisoned and they were going to die. And God says to Moses, you just craft this bronze serpent and lift it up. And as the people look up, they will be healed and they will be saved. And so it's just simple. I mean, it's just scandalous to our flesh because our flesh is like, what can I do? I got to do something. He says, no, just look. Just look and just receive. It's about seeing, seeing God in the most profound of ways. And one last point here, being seen by God. And just a quick observation about this one. Uh, throughout the passage, not only are people coming and looking at Jesus and saying, behold the Lamb and all of that language, but we also see here that as Jesus comes to these people, He sets His eyes on them. He lays His eyes on them. Seeing them and, and seeing not just them on the outside, but like seeing right through, through them. Seeing right to the bottom of their soul. Right to what their needs were. Right to what was afflicting them. And he saw right through them. And, and in one sense, he demonstrates this to Nathaniel because it says of him, 
Read verse 47 through 49 again. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Before Philip called you, Nathanael, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. He's like, wait, what? You weren't there? How do you know I was there? And then pretty quickly he realizes, oh, wow. This is a kind of knowledge that goes way beyond any human knowledge. Jesus saw him, meaning he knew him at every moment, wherever he was, whatever he was doing, including that moment when he was sitting under the fig tree. And some commentators speculate, perhaps, because people would often sit under fig trees. They, they create good shade. They're kind of low, and they create good shade. And people would sit under them and study. And perhaps commentators kind of speculate. Maybe, maybe Nathaniel was studying his Old Testament. Maybe he was literally reading Genesis 27 and 28. Could have been. Don't know. Either way, Jesus saw him before he ever saw Jesus. So, come back with me to your reality for a moment. Wherever you happen to be on a random, I don't know, Tuesday afternoon, doing whatever you're doing, driving down the road, do you see God? Well, in one sense, naturally speaking, no, you don't. Does he see you? Yeah, he sees you. He sees you all the time. Knows where you are. Knows what you're thinking, what you're feeling. Knows everything. So here's the question. Is that scary or comforting? In some ways, kind of a trick question. Is that scary or comforting? So let me tell you a little story. I met someone recently who grew up in another religion, and he went on and took it really seriously. He went on to actually become a minister in that faith, okay? And then he kind of crashed and burned and came to a place where he literally spiraled into suicidal thoughts and dark thoughts because he just, living under that system, the demands, the constant pressure, the constant watching people, watching him, all that scrutiny just crippled him. And he said to me, I believed that God hated me. It's pretty dark. So when we say, well, to know that God is always watching, God's always aware, I mean, if you're honest, there's a part of you, naturally speaking, that's like a little bit scared, a little freaked out by that. Because we still think somehow, some way, God is this like, let's, let's use Santa Claus as an illustration. He's making a list, checking it twice, going to find out who's naughty or nice. And you know the darkness of your own soul. You may be able to clean it up on the outside, but you know what's in there. And somewhere you have this sneaking suspicion that perhaps he's not as gracious as you've heard. Perhaps he's not as loving or forgiving or kind as you would want to hope. And while we tend to think of God that way, and while that is underneath and behind, why that freaks us out a little bit to think of God seeing us, do you know that is a complete mischaracterization of your Heavenly Father? Do you know that? Do you know that is more about you projecting upon him the way you are, the way you conditionally evaluate everybody, naturally speaking? It's like, okay, this one does good. I like him. This one doesn't do good. I don't like them. This one makes me feel good. They're cool. This one doesn't make me feel good. Not so cool. Like, that's human, right? So we think God's that way. And the Bible from cover to cover says, no, God is a merciful, gracious, giving Father. And so 
Let me ask you again. When you think of God watching you, knowing you that deeply, every moment, every thought, every feeling, is that scary or is that comforting? If we come to know God through the person of Jesus, if we come to see the most vivid display of who He is through Christ, that's actually the greatest comfort because that means you're safer under His scrutiny than even your own of yourself. And you're safer in His scrutiny than even anyone else. You're that safe because he says there is come to me and have life and there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Zero. None. Yeah, but so-and-so says I'm this and -and so-and-so says I'm not good enough and I'm not this enough and I'm not that enough. Yeah, God says none. Sins are forgiven. Blood of bulls and goats can't really accomplish anything. The blood of the Son of God absolutely can and does. You're clean, period. End of sentence, paragraph, story. That's hard to believe. And Jesus essentially says to Nathaniel, Blessed are you, Nathaniel, a true Israelite, because you see that your God is a giver and the Messiah comes. He's here to give. He's here to save you. All of grace. He sees you. He looks at you with the eyes of compassion and mercy and redemption. Contrary to what can be common reasoning, the Christian life is more about seeing than doing. About seeing and receiving. Not about working and taking. And while the latter can characterize us all too often, God graciously, regularly invites us to the former. Seeing and receiving. That's why it says in Hebrews, here's the sacrifice. Here, here's, here's what Christians sort of give up. So we think of all sorts of things people give up in different times of year. People give up this and give up that as sacrifice for God. So you know what the sacrifice is for, for a believer? He just says that's just a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of lips which give thanks to his name because everything comes from you. You give everything. It's the best news any of us have ever heard. May God help us to believe it. To see who he is in the most deep and profound of ways. That's intimacy with God. It's not some mystical, just sort of warm, fuzzy feeling. It's like it's to see the heart and character of God displayed for us on the cross and the receiving to know he sees me. He sees right through me. And he's given me in Christ everything, every blessing in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the study this morning. Thank you for your word. Now all of it points us to Jesus, the one in whom we have life. We're all frantically trying to provide for our own flaws and downsides and sins. And we have the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We're all trying to rescue ourselves and save ourselves, be our own Messiah or be other people's Messiah. And Christ showed up as the true Messiah, the true Savior, the only one who can deliver. We try to ascend, we try to make more of ourselves than we are, we inflate our own sense of importance, we try to be king even of our own little world or find some other human king, maybe some politician to come set us free or whatever. And you've opened our eyes to see that Christ is the Son of God and the true King. This morning we have, we have seen you. Lord, thank you for the revelation of yourself. 
Help us to receive. Help us, like Nathaniel, to believe that you are a giver, not a taker. To believe and to receive salvation and blessing and life and love and joy and peace. All gifts of your grace. So we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.